One of the things I love about this podcast and working with the Resilience Think Tank is my exposure to people in adjacent industries to resilience. We talk to people in risk, crisis communications, and cybersecurity, but today we're talking with an expert in physical security. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 108 of the Resilient Journey podcast presented by the Resilience Think Tank. I'm your host, Mark Hoffman, and this week I'm joined by someone who is equal parts resilience professional and physical security expert, Nicole McNeil. This week, Nicole and I talk about the importance of linking physical security with resilience. We chat about people who need assistance during an incident, the pressure of working for an organization with truly critical functions, and how you can respond if an employee receives a credible threat of violence. We talk about active attacker exercises and best practices. Nicole, welcome to the podcast. Thank uh, you. Yeah, it's really nice to have you here. Take a minute and introduce yourself, please. Well, I'm uh, my name is Nicole McNeil. I'm the Managing Director of Enterprise Risk Management and Organizational Resilience for TMX Group. Uh, I probably have a oh, aging myself. I think I have over 30 years of experience. Uh, I am a certified protection professional with the American Society of Industrial Security and with DRE, which I know you're familiar with, the Disaster Recovery International Institute. I'm also a certified cyber resilience professional and an associate business continuity professional as well. So you have all of these different uh, roles, all these different backgrounds, but you kind of came into the business from a physical security standpoint. Uh, so take a minute and just explain to us how you were able to navigate into these adjacent disciplines like business continuity and resilience and then risk management. Yeah, well, so you're absolutely right. So I did start uh, on the physical security side. And as for those you might know, is that security normally is what I call or refer to as uh, the first of first responders, meaning mm -hmm. that security is normally that first point of contact or that first person who activates your business continuity plans for many organizations. So, for example, they might be the ones that will find that office fire or that office flood in the middle of the night, and they're the ones that are calling and activating uh, the your BCP call trees. They may also uh, have a be responsible for or may play a key role in emergency evacuations for your employees, especially your key recovery employees. So that ultimately impacts and helps support um, your business uh, recovery, your response, as it, especially if your response is timely. It needs to be timely. Um, it, so it became evident that physical security uh, supports and ties in the uh, with a business resilience program. And so it was actually the starting. And then obviously, as we continue with the um, emergency response, mm -hmm. the, we help that business recover. So it was just a almost a natural fit, as I would call it. And then when uh, with enterprise risk management, um, this obviously provides a different lens. This provides you with the, uh, provided me with that deeper look into other risks, such as legal and financial risks that could impact the business while your business operations are still running very smooth and fine. Um, it also provided uh, the view of the organization's strategy or strategic goals. So it provided you, the uh, me, actually the ability to bring my resilience program to the C-suite uh, and allowed me to be able to tie resilience to the organizational strategy. So 
tying ERM uh, helped strengthen the uh, the business resilience program and started to add value. And now uh, we're exercising not just focused on operational matters, but now what matters and impacts the enterprise or future growth of the enterprise. One of the things that I've noticed whenever I've been involved in things, um, and I'll, I come at it from the opposite way, more from a business continuity first, then crisis management. And then when something happens that's a physical security incident, my first reaction, if I'm honest, is not panic, but it's uncertainty. I mean, to me, of those three disciplines, that's the hardest one. So I tip my cap to you. I mean, I think that's um, that, that's amazing that you're so proficient in all of those. Thank you. It was it was it's been a challenge, but it's been fun. keeps it, it keeps it exciting. Well, you talk about challenge there. I mean, it seems to me that the whole physical security space is just so male dominated, isn't it? I mean, what kind of challenges did you find, you know, being a woman in that male dominated environment? Oh, that's a good question. Um, So recognizing that, you know, uh, my career started over 30 years ago, um, back then being male dominant, um, I came across a lot of, you know, they didn't want to be the partner uh, with the girl or being asked uh, blatantly, well, you don't look very intimidating. Um, And, or, oh, can you, can you handle that kind of stress because you're a girl Um, or being put even, or put on low profile or low risk projects or uh, sites, et cetera, because I I was a woman. Um, So, you know, those were hurdles, but, um, as many BRM professionals, security professionals know, while ac- academics is very important, where rubber hits the road, as I call it, is um, your hands-on experience, right? So how do you, you this is where you learn what works, what doesn't work, how do you perfect those skills and how, and keeping current. So I focused um, on my experience and I got a broad range of security experience from commercial to retail, residential, executive protection, manufacturing. But that also helped me with my business resilience because now I understood how a bit more of how those businesses operate, what's important to them, et cetera. And that uh, broad range also gave me uh, strengthened my communication skills as well. So along Mm. with um, good communication skills, experience and a lot of persistence, uh, I was able to overcome those hurdles. And not to oversimplify it, but it's one of those what doesn't kill you definitely made you stronger in this particular case. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I'm always respectful of the organizations that my guests, you know, work for, and we certainly don't want to get into things that we shouldn't be talking about, but you mentioned that you work for TMX Group. Mm -hmm. Now, TMX operates global markets, um, and there's digital solutions that facilitate funding and growth management and, and things like that, and it seems to me that the organization as a whole has got to be a vital part of Canada's national infrastructure. Is that, is that a fair way to, to, to phrase it? That's bang on. So TM, yeah, TMX uh, owns and operates uh, two of the financial market infrastructures and we're designated systemically important for the Canadian capital markets within the financial sector. So what's interesting about that is to me, it would become obvious, it would seem obvious that your stakeholders, that your leadership team would understand the importance of resilience in a situation like that. So walk us through that. Talk about the benefits, but also maybe the pressures 
of working for an organization with that level of criticality where it's that well known? Yeah, you're right. Uh, benefits, you hang on. Uh, my leadership is fully aware what is at stake. Uh, operational resilience is a key priority for them all the time. Um, I Resilience program is always top of mind. I've always had full support of the program. A benefit, uh, you know, you hear from a lot of industry peers, they struggle uh, to get the the priority or the focus or the attention on business resilience. We've heard it time and time again, oh, that will never happen. Uh, you know, we'll we'll figure it out then, or, you know, that type of excuse, or they don't get the budget and the funding. Uh, I don't have that. I don't have that challenge. I never have. Um, so that's a good thing. And also, um, we are client focused, so our leadership remains client focused. And so benefit is, is we, you know, we're always looking for ways to demonstrate our ongoing capabilities. So I actually am the other way around. Uh, I get benefit is I have my leadership asking me for more, you know, give no. us more exercising, more stronger um, scenarios, et cetera. So a definite benefit for sure. But there's uh, challenges with that too, though. It's not all green grass and sunshine. No. And puppy dogs. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Uh, yeah. So, so some pressures, the, the exact same. Uh, we know what is at stake. We completely understand what the impacts could be uh, to our clients. Uh, we know that our clients um, uh, within uh, rely on us and not only our clients, but the Canadian finance sector relies on us. So there's definite pressures there uh, around that. And then as we know, uh, resiliency is top of mind for everybody. So they understand um, our clients and the finance sector that rely on us. They, it's important to them. So the pressure of us always needing and wanting to continue to demonstrate our capabilities and keeping up with that demand, not, um, like externally and internally can be a significant pressure. It occurred to me as we sort of blend now the first couple of things we've talked about, we talked about your different roles between risk and security and resilience, and then the criticality of the business. What kind of a benefit have you noticed within the last year since you've also had the mandate for risk management to tie emerging risks and threats that you might see with maybe some resilient strategies? Have you started to merge those two areas together yet? Oh, yes. Um, so being part of the enterprise risk team, you're always looking at emerging risks. So you're looking, obviously, you're looking at your trending, et cetera, but you're also looking at emerging risks. And so we don't just look at emerging risks and say, hey, this could be coming. We could see this potentially in 2024. We mm. actually tie it and say, if it comes, what happens to us? That's right. That's great. I and, love that. Yeah. Go on. Talk more about yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So we'll, you know, if um, whether it be a recession, et cetera, what can we expect? What, how will that, how would a recession impact us? Right. Or if it's a, geopolitical or, or socio-political uh, risk, if that was to occur, what? how does that impact us? So we, I call it like we stay ahead of the curve. Right. We're not just talking of, oh, it could come. We actually have those discussions with the business of it is here. What does that mean for you? And not right. only the risk, but also the opportunity. Right. So we can identify that, oh, well, a recession or reducing the, uh, whether it be increase or decrease of the interest rates, there could be uh, opportunities for some business while increased risk for another. 
Oh, that's very interesting. And I love that. It's not just, oh, look, here comes a storm, but it's how does that affect us and what do we need to do? And and I, I really love your answer there. Let's switch gears a little bit and maybe talk more on the physical security side. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I were talking not too long ago about a situation that I came across where someone that I know was going through uh, an exercise for an evacuation. And they were talking with someone who was a person requiring assistance. We refer to them as PRA, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so in this particular exercise, this PRA was uh, someone in a wheelchair. They refused to participate in the evacuation drill. And I was really surprised when the person didn't allow the employee of the company to wheel them out. To me, my thought was, hey, this is something you would think that they would want to understand how it was going to happen. When I told you that story, you had a different perspective on it, didn't you? What What was your point of view? Yeah, so I do. I So my, my perspective is, um, so depending on where you are, your location, your facility, a majority of your PRAs are going to be evacuated by first responders. Right. So in the event of an actual evacuation and an, act, an actual crisis, that's going to be your police, your fire department, et cetera, that are going to actually evacuate them. Yeah, not and the employees, people, not the employee. Okay. So these are trained professionals. Right. So they don't have to practice. These these people are trained. They know how to they know how to evacuate these people. What I think is more important for a PRA to practice is the events leading up to the evacuation. So, for example, meeting their uh, their buddy if uh, some people use a buddy system uh, for people that are at, for PRAs or going to the meeting location on where uh, they would be evacuated like a service or a freight elevator or inside the stairwell depending on your your facility um, or going to uh, practicing the communication notification with your a lot of organizations have internal like fire warden or evacuation teams mm-hmm. practicing that communication that I'm a PRA, I am at my meeting location, and then does that internal team talk to the building or property management? Does it get to the fire captain, et cetera, and then to trigger that? All of those steps are more important um, than the carrying the person. Now, I would, I personally would strongly advise we should not have employees evacuating other employees unless the situation is absolutely severe, that it's a matter of immediate life and death um, because if you have an employee that gets injured, accidents happen, they yeah. drop them, they're on train, somebody throws their back up. It's just a big problem. Um, but I also think I would stress it's very important, Mark. Um, it, we should include your PRA should be included in the development of their evacuation plan. Uh, they, people have different uh, accessibility needs, and mm-hmm. so they should be included uh, in their ex- uh, evacuation plan. They should understand, and they should fully support it. So walking them through, I th- we have a tendency to think, oh, you're just automatically going to do this. To me, the person not wanting to do that shows a sign that they weren't truly either involved or supportive of their, their evacuation plan. Now, should we have a common approach for all of the PRAs, or um, how... how- how diverse of an approach would you be? Is it based on, I guess, the individual's, you know, specific needs or, or how much it, detail yes. are that? Yeah, it's based to the specific needs, right? So mm-hmm. um, recognizing the um, accessibility acts, right? Uh, you, 
employee discloses uh, to their appropriate people, to HR, uh, and usually it's whether it be your health and safety committee or uh, risk management for our side, but um, that are involved and they say, okay, you know, and so some people, it could be that a temporary PRA, uh, they've broken their leg. Right. Where somebody that's permanent, like you said, and in a wheelchair, but it could also be somebody that has a visual impairment, or it could be somebody that has a sensory impairment, um, and, and these types of things. So it's adjusting, like carrying somebody down the stairs doesn't fit for everybody. They could be completely mobile, but they just um, have something else that they need assistance with. All right, I'm going to keep uh, pressing you here on some physical security things. So this has happened to my clients, two of my clients in the last six weeks, where Mm -hmm. they have received a very credible threat of physical violence against an employee. If this was to come into an organization that you had responsibility for, or if you could coach someone where they did have that responsibility, what advice would you give? What are some best practices? Yeah, well, I, I mean, obviously, there's varying different types of threats. So I'm going to kind of keep it general. Um, but obviously, first and foremost, make sure staff are trained and know what to do uh, when they and, and know who to notify when they receive these threats. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is very surprising to me on the amount that maybe don't know. Um, security note will know what to do or human resources will know what to do or or whichever. But uh, we have a tendency to forget the employee base, uh, make sure that the employee knows what to do once it's received. But in your case, you it, it looks like it was reported. Uh, make sure uh, that you uh, notify your corporate security team if you have one, or okay. uh, make sure that they know to uh, notify their manager. Uh, very important. Um, notify lo- lo- local law enforcement. And obviously, if the threat um, is uh, immediate or if there's a... Uh, imminent danger to life safety, follow the direction of uh, local law enforcement or uh, your corporate security team. Um, also make sure that's where your indicator is going to be. If, it, if it's imminent, that's where you're going to activate your, whether it be your incident response, your crisis management team, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, make sure that is activated and they know to do that. Um, also don't engage with the threat actor. Um, sometimes I think we've can watch too many TV and we can talk them down or, you know, these types of things. I'm not sure uh, the behind, but don't uh, any interactions that you have, or if the person is uh, persistent uh, should be either pointed to your internal legal team, if you have one um, or your local law enforcement um, or should be uh, pointed to. So a text or or interaction comes in and it's threatening. Yeah. Just, don't, respond. don't, don't, don't even engage. Absolutely. Um, don't, don't respond, uh, et cetera. Uh, but note, make sure you, you track and note down all um, communication that you receive um, the date, the time. Um, if it was like a phone call conversation or whichever, or screenshot the text or email, whichever sure. uh, um, note, what was said uh, and then, terminate that conversation and advise of any actions that were taken, right? Like note what those actions were. It's important that you track it. So in the event that this becomes obviously you, uh, legal action, it, this this information is very important. Uh, or even if it turns out to be har- harassment, it becomes a harassment issue, this person just doesn't stop. Uh, right. you, can demonst- you can demonstrate harassment. Without the tracking, you can't uh, demonstrate harassment. Oh, I like that. Now, listen, I'm not asking you this in context of the organization that you work for. This is a just a generic right. uh, question about uh, maybe your own thoughts on something. But how far do you think 
an organization should go in offering protection? Is it just escorting um, a threatened individual to their vehicle or like how far do you do you carry that, do you think? Yeah, so um, again, it depends on, on the threat type, right? And mm -hmm. what the threat is um, and also the basis behind it. So uh, if it is a domestic violence, um, like a domestic situation, yeah. um, then it is obviously, I was going to say, actually, when you said best practices before was, it's also important that if an employee is being targeted, um, depending on the threat type, we need to include them. I have seen in my past years of experience mm -hmm. that we don't tell the employee and I'm like, the employee needs to know. It's very important. Um, but you're absolutely right. If the person is being targeted because of their role in the workplace, um, then you need to work with the employee to develop a security, a personal security plan for them. Yeah. And that would include, um, you know, their home. However, you need their cooperation and their onsite. So um, it would include, you know, okay, if you're moving, just even that contact, that um, tracking, touch point, safety, uh, safety plan, et cetera. And, you know, depending, and if it's extreme, obviously, then it's the police are involved and there might be that appropriate protection. So again, it's it's tough to answer a clear cut answer, Mark, but it really depends on the level of the threat. And if the threat is coming to that employee because of the work that they do for you. Yeah, I, I really like that. And what I like about having that on the podcast is um, if you want to go back and listen to the answer a couple of times, make sure you understand some of those key points, uh, law enforcement, security, cooperation mm -hmm. with the, uh, with the individual uh, really well done. This question sort of blends two of your hats together. And uh, I really like having, uh, you're, you know, having multiple skill sets here. So I get to ask you this. So give some recommendations for an organization for resilience planning as the result of some kind of a physical security related disruption. So talk about how like a physical security incident could actually cause an outage to the business. Oh, well, there's. I can give a lot. So you might have to cut me off here. Sorry. <laughs> you warned um, me about that though. That's fair. So, so simple ones, really simple ones. Um, security is granting access to individuals that are not authorized to your, either your secured area or your secured assets resulting in the removal of IP, high confidential data, high valued assets, or even the destruction of critical systems. Sure. There's a physical security or they don't, um, like I said, we were the first of first responders. So if the person, the security person doesn't do their duties um, and they don't respond to alarms or they don't conduct their patrols, they're not doing that work. And that small leak that was at midnight now becomes a massive flood by 6 a.m. Uh, resulting in a business continuity activation. Uh, another simple one is organizations that um, have to complete their critical business uh, functions on site or on premises. They don't have the uh, remote work capability, um, have a large protest group sit in uh, and or a vehicle blocking, preventing any of uh, their employees from accessing the facility. If you want to get more complicated, um, you have an employee that employee extortion or an employee that has an ins what we refer to as an insider threat yep. um, where the employee is authorized to be there, 
uh, but they are stealing uh, high-valued assets data in either in response uh, to being threatened uh, and or for um, other means, means with intentional purpose. Also, you can have authorized access where um, security is escorting uh, or supervising uh, maintenance uh, or, uh, uh, workers in uh, that, that they're un untrained in. And what I mean by that is they are escorting a worker to, I don't know, your electrical room, et cetera, and they're overseeing that work worker, and yet the contractor cuts and damages uh, the wrong equipment. The security yeah. person's not trained um, to say, whoa, whoa, that's that's the that's yeah. the electrical or that's the sprinkler. Um, you can't don't do that, uh, resulting in flooding, mass damage, et cetera. Do you, you want you any said, more? Well, no, no, that that's really good. You said something that really jumped out at me because we were talking about physical security threats. And a lot of times people go to, oh, there's an active attacker, an active shooter, or something like that. And you didn't mention that in any of your examples which points out to me that a lot of this is so much more nuanced than we think. And you have to be alert for things that aren't so blatantly obvious. So let me ask you that kind of leverage that a little bit and say, are active attacker exercises a good idea? And if you are doing that, is it training and awareness or do you actually run like a, a an actual drill with someone uh, as an attacker, like what are some good practices there? Yeah, that's a, a great question. And then my first response uh, response to you is it depends. Okay. Um, again, first thing that you should be doing is a risk assessment to identify your likelihood. Hmm. Recognizing that some facilities, some areas, some industries, active attacker is one of their key risks. And therefore, yes, Conducting drills not only is a good idea, but it is required, it's mandatory, uh, et cetera. However, many facilities, um, their likelihood is low. And so awareness is more important. Um, but I also think the type of awareness is more important. I suggest best practice is having staff know, uh, know what to look for, um, but know yeah. what to do, know how to respond, but not only in the workplace, um, but during their off time as well. So giving them general um, information around what to do when they're on public transit, what to do if they're uh, in a concert, shopping, et cetera. And why do we want to do that general is in reality, it reduces the negative impact to the business because losing a, an employee uh, mm -hmm. due to an active attacker situation, even not in the workplace, is going to cause some type of disruption to your business. That's sure. not there's a human element there. It's very unique. Um, however, um, if running drills are appropriate for your organization, I would say some key considerations to think about is, first of all, you never want to disrupt business. So exercises like this should uh, that like this could cause trauma or trigger employees to relive trauma. So we want to make sure that we avoid that at all costs. Um, a drill could, um, well, a drill can emphasize employee safety on how an employee can protect themselves in the workplace or how, or however, a drill doesn't address the emotional trauma of employees to go through. So it's not like everybody, you know, we're going to, everybody's going to hide underneath their desks or lock themselves in a meeting room, et cetera, based on the, you know, uh, run, hide, fight, uh, response. Um, and then you're going to go, okay, everybody back to work. Uh, our, you know, that was our, everybody uh, evacuate and go to your BCP locations. 
this is a situation where your employees are going to be absolutely traumatized. Um, so while they're safe and you're happy for that, um, having them work uh, or, or continue to work um, probably won't happen that day, that day for sure, if not mm. for longer duration. So you have to be really careful of what you're actually trying to exercise for, because I don't think it's business resilience. Right. It's safety. It's safety. Wow. And so that you have to really make sure you're you're testing for the right purpose. Um, obviously, be careful planning uh, needs to go into uh, this. Make sure you engage your local law enforcement. Uh, your liaison office or will probably provide awareness sessions and actually assist you if uh, with exercise planning and for free. Right. Yeah, that's something yeah. that people don't realize. That's right. And they love it. They're like, oh, my God. Yeah, sure. Look, we're at the musical portion of the show now. Oh. Um, you have a song that's going to be played when you walk to the podium to speak or, you know, maybe through the streets of Toronto as you're walking into the office. What song would you pick and why? Is this describing me or something it's that your, makes it's me? It's your vibe. It can be describing you. It could be, uh, you know, who one that, yeah, that uh, that's that sets the tone for Nicole is here. Um, well, I think from a joke perspective, I think I'd pick bitch by Meredith Brooks. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you can pick whatever you want. Oh. <laughs> Nicole, this has been uh, amazing. Uh, let people know how they can connect with you. Yeah, absolutely. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, so uh, feel free to reach out and connect with me on LinkedIn. Or if you have a specific uh, question uh, or you want to reach out to, you can email me, Nicole.McNeil at TMX.com. Nicole, thank you for this. Amazing and uh, always a pleasure. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. Take care. I want to thank Nicole McNeil for being my guest and bridging the gap between physical security and resilience. The Resilient Journey is a Resilience Think Tank production. And speaking of the Resilience Think Tank, we are open for membership. If you'd like to learn more, go to resiliencethinktank.com slash membership. We have another great guest lined up next week. So join us, won't you, as we continue our resilient journey. Yesterday I cried It must have been relieved to see the softer side I can understand how you'd be so confused I don't envy you I'm a little bit of everything